Hello everyone, it's Lucas here. Before we start, I wanted to catch everybody up to speed on what's been going on behind the scenes at Lineup and Wait this past few weeks. Here we value quality over quantity episodes. This means that we'd rather up upload less likely and give you better quality content than uploading every week with semi-mediocre content. Because of our busy schedules between me, Jared, and Evan, we have decided to step back for a few weeks and figure out what we've been doing right in this podcast, what we've been doing wrong, and what new things we need to input. During our time off, we have come up with a new format for our podcast. Although I'm not going to touch on the new format this week, episode 12 is going to include our new stories and how our new podcast format is going to work. Before I say too much more and bore you all to death, let's get right into your weekly aviation discussion. Thank you for pressing play on episode 11 of the Line Up and Wait podcast. Welcome everyone, you are listening to episode 11 of the Lineup and Wait podcast, your weekly aviation discussion. My name is Jared. My name is Evan. And I'm Lucas. And we did take a short break. Uh, we thank you for your patience as we... Uh, as we work to continue recording, and uh, we look forward to uh, a great episode today. So let's get right into the discussion. So our first story tonight, we're going to talk about a new flight that was uh, brought out by Air New Zealand. They just launched their nonstop flight from Auckland to New York. And um, this is an extremely long flight. Um, it's an estimated 16 hours and 15 minutes from wheels up to wheels down. And uh, the return flight uh, from New York, it takes, um, it takes about an hour longer um, because uh, more headwinds coming back to New Zealand. So um, it's the world's fourth longest flight. Um, it is a little bit uh, shorter, about a little less than three hours shorter than um, the longest flight, which is Singapore to New York, which is nearly 19 hours. And Air New Zealand's flying the Boeing 787 for this route. And um, yeah, it's it's really um, an interesting you know flight. We've come a long way in aviation. I think that kind of goes without saying. Um, if you are interested in flying on on board Air New Zealand for this flight, um, it's a flight that's flown uh, three times a week. And uh, one way, a one-way ticket in economy is going to run you about $1,400. And if you're in business class, it's going to start at around $8,500. So, um, not you're as... just teasing us at this point. Uh, Gosh. I mean, big, I mean, big teaser. To, what's what's the what's the route? To be to be honest, um, I thought you know I thought it would be a heck of a lot more expensive. But, yeah, I'm um, saying like $1,400 for for a flight that connects two polar opposite areas of the world like i was i was expecting at least 2000 for an economy ticket yeah so but, so on that i mean this, i mean it could is... be air new zealand and they could be playing you know you know you know how a few episodes back we talked about new zealand sky pods i was that was literally just about to say that yeah i hate to be that guy but like 
you know, like I've I've had my fair share of longer flights, at least like by US standards. Um, like and I can tell you like I was on JetBlue going to San Francisco for it was like a I don't know, I was on that airplane for like eight hours almost. Um the flight itself wasn't eight hours, but when you take into account of course boarding and deplaning and what have you, um it, it added up to almost eight hours. I don't know how I, how I would last an economy for a 16-hour flight. So so if you're one of those people who um, who you know are going to be in an economy seat for this 16-hour flight between Auckland and New York, respect. Whoa. I think, I, I, you have my utmost respect I think, because I would never be able to do that. Personally. So it's for a, me, it's a big endurance test, honestly. So for me, if I if I like, I'm a big window seat guy, right? Like, I I will never fly on a plane unless I'm in a window seat. Like the majority of the time, but I think on a flight that's this long, especially if I'm flying by myself, like I'm gonna need an aisle seat because I'm gonna need to be getting up frequently, walking around. Like I'm not, I'm not gonna stay in my seat for 16 hours. Absolutely no way. And you know, having the window seat here, especially if you're by yourself, having to cross over three people, especially if they're sleeping, in, a, in an economy seat, mind you, it's gonna be difficult for sure. So that's why I'll, I'll kind of draw the line between whenever I really want the window seat and what I really need on the flight. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, when you, you know, when you're sitting on that airplane, I mean, I, I'm, I've never flown on air New Zealand, so I don't know how their services, I don't know what their services like, what amenities they have on board. Um, but I can only watch the new Top Gun movie so many times before I get bored. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's really, it's I, really I have just, yet to see it. I, I actually oh watched gosh. it. I actually no watched it on a. I was actually on a really long flight um, a few weeks ago. At least really long by my standards, and we might talk about it in a future episode. But yeah, that was the first time I watched Top Gun Maverick. So that was um, that was no way y'all still haven't really seen awesome. it. Like I I I, I, saw haven't, it. I haven't even seen the first Top Gun. I haven't seen the first. How do Top you call Gun yourself an av geek? Man, we're, I'm gonna get so much hate in this episode. Yeah, I think Literally. I'm gonna get so much hate as well I mean, <laughs> but if you haven't seen top gun maverick i highly recommend i literally saw it the first weekend it came out yeah it's amazing but but as far as you know air new zealand if air new zealand if anyone from air new zealand is is listening to this episode um i don't know if you have like tvs on board or some other means of oh yeah they, they have but really good do, ife okay good um yeah you better amazing. make sure that you have the new top gun movie in there um both <laughs> top gun movies for that matter um so yeah it's it's a really good movie, but um, but yeah, it but is I'm... a sixteen hour flight. It's a very long flight, and um, you know, w- of course, we talked about the sky pods um earlier, um, you know, several episodes back. But um, I- I'm very interested in seeing like how um this is gonna play out. I believe we talked about how these sky pods are gonna be on yeah um, a flight yeah we did this, actually right? yeah and I think I think especially for economy passengers that'll be like a lifesaver. You know, because I know people that spend multitude of hours on airplanes, especially just for commuting. And you know, if they have that that extra leg room or that you know, they're able to lay down for a few hours, I feel like that makes the world of a difference. But um, what I was going to say is about the seven eight seven. So the seven eight seven for Air New Zealand. You know, the people. There's always a debate between the A350 and the 787. You know, the A350 is the plane that flies the longest flight in the world, Singapore, New York, and you know, Air New Zealand with their fleet, with them having the 78s. You know, it's the more fuel efficient version, fuel efficient aircraft that Boeing has for those long haul, ultra long haul flights. 
And I think this is a good, really great option for them instead of flying the triple seven. You know, they're going to sacrifice a couple, a couple rows of, of seating in order to accommodate for the, for the, uh, fuel efficiency. But, you know, once you get up into those 12, 14 hour areas of flight time, it's going to make a world of a difference to have that, uh, more, more efficient fuel engines. Yeah. But honestly, I don't feel like there is big, a big sacrifice getting rid of those few seats for more fuel efficiency because if these planes are only flying these, whatever this, whatever this new, the 16 hour flights, there's not going to be a crazy number of people on it. Like there's going to be a lot of people on it, just not enough where those few extra seats make a difference. I mean, to be fair, like in, people that need to go from New Zealand to New York, there, there's going to be. If not full, it's going to be mostly full. Pretty much every flight, I can guarantee it. Even especially, it's especially that it's a couple of days a week, you know. Because if this was a daily service, I could kind of see where you're coming from. But a couple times a week, I think it'll definitely be chocker block full of people. So I think it should be. I think we need to add context since we're talking about um, pushing the Dreamliner to its limits here. Um, what we know about this flight so far is that it will carry 17 crew members so that's there's going to be four pilots on board and 13 flight attendants and then there's going to be 275 seats uh, available for the journey from Auckland to New York but on the way back it's not going to take as many people because of the added flight time so so needless to say like you know air new zealand knows they're they're pushing the dreamliner to its limits with this flight and um every every drop of fuel on board um is going to count here um so i i hope you know it goes very well i i wouldn't be surprised if you know there's a there's a really there's a bad weather day in in new york or whatever it may be um or maybe you know they there's just a the sheer amount of traffic going into JFK because they are flying to JFK, of course, and I I could imagine you know some problems arising from that. I don't know um, as far as like you know the amount of reserve fuel that they have to carry. Um, you know, it's they have to carry a good amount of reserve fuel in addition to what they normally carry. Yeah, and these planes, like, um. You know, even if it's a ten, eight, eight to ten hour flight, most of these airliners are going to be taking off relatively close to their maximum takeoff weight because, you know, if they're if they're going on an eight hour flight, they don't have to carry as much fuel, so they're going to pack it full of cargo, and make that extra revenue from companies that pay them to carry their cargo. You know, and now that we have a, um, this route expansion, that's going to be full of people and all their bags. And there's going to be more fuel on board, so that cargo option, that car carrying extra cargo is not an option. So, you know, this plane is still going to be close to maximum takeoff weight, and you know, it's 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 not going to be much of a difference, you know, for the as in the performance sector. I think that, is that what you were kind of talking about? Yeah, um, it, that's that's more or less what I was talking about. Um, another thing that I would say is, and I want to pose this question to both of you. Um, would you want to go on this flight? Would you, if you, if you had to get from Auckland, New Zealand to New York City, would you elect to take this flight? Take the price out of I it. Mean, just would you do it? So for me, I don't know about I don't know about you guys, but I love I love airports. So you know, it, um, 
I went to Hawaii a few years back, and I I could have I could have either um, gone directly there, so it was like about an eight hour flight directly. But if I stopped in San Francisco, it's it was like an hour hour and a half layover. But I you know got to walk get up stretch my legs, see the airport, get some food, kind of relax instead of just sitting in a chair for an extra three hours. So I mean for me I would definitely like like not the fact that it's a sixteen hour flight, just the fact that it's a really long flight. Like if I was going to Europe, or if I was going anywhere in the world that's like maybe eight hours plus, I would rather um, you know, have a layover and just kinda hang out and enjoy my time in the other city. But I don't know. I mean, okay, I'm a, I'll look at this from an Avgeek standpoint because that's why I would fly on this flight. I just, I just like, am very intrigued of, you know, these iconic flights, like, um, any A380 flight, any well, New, New long York flight, more Singapore. than 10 hours. Yes, San like, Francisco all these iconic flights. Yeah. Yeah, then a normal person goes, ooh, cool, big plane. Oh, no, it's a long flight. It's going to suck. As an av geek, I'm like, oh, my goodness, big, giant plane. <gasps> and then... Long flight. Ooh, it's an iconic flight, and then yeah, know, I go on it for those from. reasons. Yeah, I'm sure most that. of the people watching this podcast are probably in the same boat. But there's also, you know, yeah. From an av- from an av geek standpoint, I see where you're, I see where you're coming from, Lucas. Um, but but to Evan's point, like I also like airports, you know. Um, and not to mention, like a layover is a very good opportunity to get up, stretch your legs, um, get some food and- that's actually substantial. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I, I'll be honest, like, you know, if I've learned that, you know, if I'm going to be on a flight that's more than three or four hours, um, I'm going to pack some snacks with me um, because I'm not really the biggest fan of airplane food, if you want to know the truth. Um, but for me, like, I probably would not elect to take this flight unless, you know, I know I said take the price out of it, but unless I was like in business class or something. Because, you know, with business class, you actually have the ability to to stretch out and, and relax a little bit more. Whereas, you know, if you're in economy, then you have to put up with, yeah. you know, you have to put up with the, the standard legroom, which, um, I mean, I'm not the tallest person out there. And so, I'm not that big, so it's it, it works. But for 16 hours, it would be a bit of a stretch. Yeah, so for me, I would have to make a compromise, you know, to get on this flight. You know, I would either get rid of the window seat or... I would pay extra money to fly in business class because I agree with you I'm, not, I'm not sitting in a window seat for 16 hours, especially if I'm by myself because it's one, one, it's awkward, and two, I'm going to have back problems by the time I get off that airplane. So, you know. Yeah, I, I still probably wouldn't go for the economy route on this flight. Like, I would premium probably economy, put I think an they ex- have a really I nice like, Yeah, that's where I was, that's where I I was going with it. I'd nice probably go with premium, premium economy products. if I were to fly on this flight. Yeah, yeah. Um, unless I unless I had the money to go to business class, but you know a lot of us don't. Yeah, and I, I don't know what is um is Air New Zealand's part of this Sky Team Alliance, right? I'm pretty sure it's part of Sky Team. Um, I want to say it is. Yeah. Hold on, and no, There's... it's part of Star Alliance. Oh, it's part of Star Alliance. Okay, yeah. so for me, having all those United points, it might be possible if I. If I could get in business class, but you know, it all depends on your on your kind of agenda. You know, if you live in Atlanta, you're gonna have a lot more Sky Team points. If you live in Dallas or you know wherever American Hub, you can have a lot of One World points. 
So those airlines that go into your airport, if you need to get somewhere and you have those points, it would be nice to transfer those and then, um, you know, splash the extra cash to get to get a nice seat so you're actually going to be comfortable instead of getting off the plane with arthritis. I guess yeah. It, it, yeah, it just all depends. I, you know, stuff like that, maybe in the future, if I have a little spare change, I'll start a savings account and go, hey, I'm going to use this money to maybe one day go on a long, nice flight in business class or first class or, you know, a, high, a higher tier class just for the fun of it or, you know, for vacation or whatever the reason. I mean, but you can always, you can always um, just like rack up your, your miles um, from traveling. Right, you could do that. You could, you could do that too. Yeah, because like for me, you know, whenever I whenever I travel on other airlines, I'm always looking to see if I have miles. But like, it might be good to just you know start racking them up so that you can one day down the line, you know, either fly your family out somewhere for free or just splurge and get a nice ticket for you to go somewhere. But you know, it's all it's all preference. I've so I guess to kind of go back to sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I've always considered the idea because, like, because, like, I'm, you know, like, I've been flying Delta, like, almost exclusively for the better part of the last almost five years. And, um, you know, I, I enjoy that airline and my loyalty has kind of stuck with them for a while just just because of the amount of times I've, I've flown it in the last few years. But I've always thought of the idea of just, like, doing mileage runs and getting on a flight, um, obviously not Air New Zealand, but, you know, a flight of a similar nature. Um, you know, flying in first class just just for that experience because I've never really had that opportunity. Yeah, it would it it's it it is really nice, especially whenever you see those YouTube videos of those people flying in Emirates first class, getting like pampered treatment. And I know Air New Zealand has really good upper class products as well. So, I mean, I guess to to kind of get back on track here with this New Zealand. Um, subject here you know I, I wouldn't say no to, if I had had the opportunity to spend the extra maybe thousand dollars you know since you're already going halfway across the world um, to go ahead and just and I know that the ticket price difference was like seven thousand or six thousand dollars between economy and business but maybe spending the extra five hundred dollars or whatever it is for premium economy might be worth it. I think that's. I think Lucas agreed with me on that as well. Um. So another thing <clears throat> is like wait until so this is something that I experienced on Delta and and I'm and I'm gonna stay on topic with this as much as I can. Um. Maybe maybe we can make a comparison with with uh, Air New Zealand. I'm not yeah, sure if sure, Air New sure. Zealand maybe does this. Um. But what I found is I was on um, Delta. Um. I was I was on an international flight. It was an overnight flight. Um, and basically prior to the flight, as in like, you know, the weeks and the, the months prior, it cost upwards of $2,000 to upgrade to Delta one, just one way. Um, but on the day of it cost about six or $700. So, you know, maybe you can upgrade for a cheaper price on the day of, because maybe the, those seats aren't full, but obviously your mileage is going to vary. Um, 
I think at this point we're kind of just devising strategies as to like how we can afford um, a, a, an, a, an upper class type of experience on Air New Zealand. Um, but it's it's a really it's a really great opportunity for those who who want um, you know a, I would say a somewhat a affordable flight and 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 a more instead of having flight. to wait in LA or you know wherever. And so. and if that's your cup of tea, then then feel free. And it should also be worth noting, just for the sake of um, time, like quite literally, if you are on, um, if you're on Air New Zealand, this flight in particular, um, I just I just had it up. Here we go. Um, you leave Auckland at about four p.m. New Zealand time, and you get to on a Saturday. This is the the last one. Um, and then you get to New York City, JFK Airport. You get there at about 4.30 p.m. on Saturday. So it's like you, it's almost like you, you take off and land at the <laughs> So that's always pretty <laughs> that, that'd, that'd be so awkward. But, but then again, like there's that concept of jet lag. So it's going to feel like you're in the middle of the night, but it's bright daylight in New York. I think that'd be cool. I want to experience that someday. Yeah. Yeah, having like major jet lag. I will, I will say though, like... Um, without spilling the beans on what this, what my next travel story is going to be on the podcast, um, jet lag going East, like it's all about how you treat it. Um, like for me, like I got there, you know, like in the, it was an overnight flight. I get, I get there at like 7am and, um, I am struggling to stay awake. Like I'm struggling to stay awake. Um, two or 3pm comes around. I finally check into my hotel and I just fall asleep until like 830 and then luckily I was able to go to sleep at like midnight and I woke up at like seven the next morning. So now I'm back on track. Um, whereas like if I had just like stuck it out for a few more hours, I would have been able to sleep for I would have been able to sleep for like 10 hours straight or maybe yeah. even like 12 hours straight. And then and then, boom, like you, you don't really you didn't really experience much so, jet lag at all. So, so it's all about I how you treat to it. Battle to battle to combat jet lag, you know, going east. Most of the overnight flights are going to be arriving at, at the a.m. times for Europe, so like 10 a.m., whatever. Um, and it's and you're going to feel like you're barely like waking up or you're barely going to sleep, depending on your sleep schedule. Like if you wake up at 5 a.m., it's going to be 10 a.m. On, in Europe. Or if you go to sleep pretty late, you know, you're going to, you're going to feel differently. But for me, what I do, I mean, I'm, I'm usually pretty good, pretty good about you know, staying awake for, you know, a couple hours more, going to bed at like, you know, if I'm really struggling, I go to bed late afternoon and then I'll just get up really early the next morning. And then my body's able to last me until about 9 PM. And then I, I just get on with the, with the clock. But I know a lot of people have times to have struggles with it. So, you know, if you're feeling tired and you want to go to bed, just go to bed and then you'll have that extra day to catch up to the to the to the clock and where where whatever country you're in is that's just my that's just my pointer to kind of combat off of or to piggyback off what you said jared for next story we have a little bit of a different uh topic a little bit of subject change here uh that has to do with united airlines and jfk in new york city um as many of you may know, United, prior to COVID, was not, um, you know, relevant in JFK. They, mainly because of their, 
big monopoly or overtaking of Newark Liberty Airport. Um, but when COVID happened and flight schedules, you know, reeled back, um, United picked up some temporary um, slots into JFK and are currently not here in the coming future are not going to be in JFK anymore because of these, uh, what do you call them? Permanent, not, these lack of permanent slots at JFK that United has not been able to acquire so, because of their temporary slots. So I'm just going to provide a little context here. So, so JF, there's, there, there, there's two, th- there actually there's three major airports in New York. Um, two of them, JFK and New York, those are probably the two busiest. Actually, I, I, I'm going to give LaGuardia some credit. So they're, so they're all three pretty busy airports. So United has a – United pretty much owns Newark Liberty, which is right across the river in New Jersey. So it's not too far away from New York. You just cross the bridge and you're there. Um, and then there's JFK, which is uh, south, south side of, of the – uh, suburban area, or not? It's not. There's south side of the urban area, so South Manhattan, and and so they're both airports in the New York area, and for whatever reason, United decided to buy up these temporary slots at JFK. Um, I think it was recently. It was a couple of months ago or something, and for whatever reason, they did that. I don't know why. Probably because they didn't want, they were passengers that were complaining about having to take a 45 minute long taxi ride or whatever. So, um, yeah, I think it's like, quite frankly, I think it's pretty dumb that they would even decide to buy routes into JFK, especially with how busy it is already. And with how little the airline exists at JFK, I think it wasn't the smartest thing to do. And, you know, just seeing this article proves the point that, you know, it wasn't successful and they are going to save money, revenue, and passengers if they just stick to their monopoly over at, uh, over at Newark. I think what I would say is, yeah, why is why does United find the need to fly into JFK as well as Newark when they have this massive hub at Newark? And they more or less, as you guys said, hold a monopoly. <laughs> Literally, they own the airport. airport. It's, yeah, exactly. So, I I don't I think I think United um should should focus on, you know, their what they have right now. You know, I, I trust United is doing pretty well when it comes to um what they have right now. I don't know why they really need to fly into JFK. The other thing is like. Maybe maybe I'm viewing this wrong. In the New York City area, you know, LaGuardia and LaGuardia Airport is like for, you know, your domestic flights and then um JFK is a lot of you get a lot of international flights and then Newark, of course, you know, practically run by United is um a lot of domestic flights, but you know, some international flights sprinkled in as well. So I mean it's you know United has that mix going on at Newark right now. I mean, you know, what are they trying what what are they trying to gain by flying out of JFK? Yeah, so um for yeah, to kind of agree with what you said. 
Um, I think they it might have been some kind of experimentation thing, because, you know, they they did fly to JFK back like six seven years ago, um, but decided to come back you know late February of twenty twenty one. I think personally, I think it's a more of an experimentation for United to kind of see how they fend it off against you know the people that the the carriers that hold a really big presence at JFK, like the likes of uh, American and Delta. Um, so, you know, I think that JFK is a really is a really well-designed airport for that traffic flow. And, you know, they can handle a lot of planes. But, you know, having two major airlines there and having, you know, if United, if their, if their idea and that was to have a larger presence at JFK, I I don't I just don't think it would work out, especially with, you know, in the article they talked about how United was unable to get permanent slots anywhere. <clears throat> so, I think them just focusing on keeping their steady presence in Newark and having a reliable um, flow of aircraft throughout that airport would be good. But I think one more thing I want to say to kind of relate to this topic. Is so my hometown, Houston. We have two major airports, George Bush Intercontinental, which is the bigger of the two, services m most of the major U.S. carriers on a pretty large scale, and then Hobby Airport is pretty much only used for Southwest, and then you have a couple domestic flights on like Delta and American and um, like Spirit Frontier, whatever. But a thing, a thing I, want, I wanted to, to kind of relate about was how Southwest only recently decided to start servicing both airports. And it's been pretty successful. They have a really nice um, route connection for both airports. So I think for at least another reason maybe would be that this is a convenience thing for passengers. You know, instead of having to drive an hour plus from wherever you live, you pick the airport that's closest to you, and then you decide to go from there on um, what you would rather do as far as your travel. Um, you know, if you want to save money and drive across town, if it's cheaper, or save money and drive closer and get on a plane. You know, I think it's just a convenience thing for passengers. I don't know about you, Jared. This may or may not be a factor in New York just because of how big and how long it takes to get a, to get across. I mean, you've been there before. It, it it takes a really, really long time to go a really, really short distance in, in that city. So it may not be so, the same. So I think context is important when it comes to this. So here's an example. Um, so I've gone to New York City a handful of times over the past like, year or two. And here's what I'll say. Um, a lot of those times I've taken the train. I, I, I've never flown to New York City like in the last year. I've always taken Amtrak. Um, it's really convenient because it's pretty inexpensive. Um, it's eco-friendly. You know, you're dropped right in this, you know, right in the center of Manhattan. You're in Midtown. So it's it's pretty nice in that regard. The other thing that I think is important to note is like there was like one time, for example, when I decided to drive to New York City. Oh yeah, good it luck. A, it, yeah, so I'll I'll tell you about that. Not to turn this into a tr you know a a travel nightmare or whatever um, type of discussion, but I'll I'll put it this way. 
to get from Staten Island up to where I live, just north of Boston, took about five and a half hours. <laughs> about two and but but about two and a half hours of that was spent solely getting from Staten Island out of New York City. The other thing that I think we should note here is that I had to pay about fifty dollars in tolls during my time in New York City. Um, you cross the Whitestone Bridge, that's ten dollars. You cross the Verrazano Narrows Bridge twice, that's another twenty dollars. You go through the Cary Tunnel that goes from Brooklyn to Man uh is it Brooklyn from Brooklyn to Manhattan? Yeah, it's from Brooklyn to Manhattan, I believe it is. Um and that'll cost you another ten dollars. And then I went over the RFK bridge, that's another ten dollars. Throw in a couple of two or three dollar tolls here or there, it's closer to sixty dollars in tolls. So that in and of itself drove me crazy. Yeah. But let's so that... pretend let's pretend you took public transit. You wanted to go from Manhattan, midtown, to the Newark airport. Here's what you do. You go to Penn Station, and then you take a New Jersey transit train, two stops, so like twenty minutes, and then you take the air train um, from the the Newark um, the Newark Airport station, uh, the New Jersey Transit station. There, that takes about five or ten minutes, and you're and you're at the airport. Um, so unless you're commuting or commuting, unless you're going to Newark from like the complete opposite side of New York City, I don't really see the convenience aspect of it here. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure because I've only been to New York once, and. I only I only traveled on public transit because, you know, we did the research before and tolls is through the roof, car rentals is through the roof. So, yeah, we, we only did public transit. And, you know, if you're in a big metropolitan area like that, it's, it's a no-brainer to take the public transit. You're going to save money and you're going to save time. And, you know, overall getting where you need to be, especially if it's to an airport, is a very time sensitive thing. And driving a car, especially in a big metropolitan area like that, you don't you don't know what traffic's gonna be like most of the time. You don't know if there's gonna be road closers or whatever. I mean I can assume New York might be predictable in some aspect just because it's always bad on the roads. Like New it's York always traffic it's is always gonna take you forty five minutes to cross the Brooklyn Bridge or whatever it is to get to Brooklyn. Or to get across the the uh, to get across the Hudson into New Jersey, or whatever. So I think for sure, you know, whatever United's motive here was, you know, I I kind of strongly stand behind the fact that they were simply just testing it out to see how they vended against the likes of Delta and American, who hold a really really strong presence at JFK, and especially just because. How JFK is laid out, it's built to handle a lot of planes. So, I mean, I think I think the the sort of economic um, airline, you know, whatever they wanted to do, testing wise, see how they how they did at JFK, um, is probably the best theory behind this. Um, there was something in the article here that I also wanted to point out if I can find it. I think uh, there I think to your point, Evan, there's a difference between like, you know, comparing JFK to Newark and um and down in Houston, you know, Hobby Airport and, and George Bush, those two airports. Um I don't know how public transit is in Houston. I don't, I would imagine it's not as elaborate as it is in New York it's City. It's pretty much non existent. 
And so, so for that reason, like, like how long would it take to drive between those two airports? So to get from Hobby to IAH, you know, if there's traffic, probably about 45 minutes. If there's no traffic, maybe 30 or less. Um, to get from my house, so, so for me, I live about the same distance from each airport. I live about 45 minutes from each airport. So the convenience thing for me is not really a factor. It's just whoever has the cheaper ticket. So I used to fly Southwest a lot, and I really liked it just because, you know, two free bags, you get really good um, accommodations. You get you get the um, the you get to pick your seats. So I I really used to like Southwest, and I flew on it pretty frequently. Um, but you know, ever since Southwest started getting on the expensive side, I started moving back to to United just because I couldn't afford to fly on Southwest. I mean, you know, a, a round trip ticket on Southwest now between two major airports. Like if I wanted to go to Chicago round trip, it'd probably be like three fifty, four hundred dollars, and you know I can't afford to do that anymore. So I'll just buy the two hundred round trip ticket on United. So, I guess where I'm kind of going with this is it's gonna be, um, not necessarily difficult for United, but since they already have such a presence at, at uh, at Newark, I mean. You know, if passengers are are wanting to fly on United, they're not gonna go, they're not gonna go out of their way and spend extra money to go to to fly to JFK whenever they can, whenever they can just drive the extra, you know, thirty minutes or whatever and get on their airline and go where they need to go. So I guess that's kind of my kind of uh, closing our closing statement here. Um, I don't know if you wanted to say anything more, Jared, before we hop into the next segment. I mean, not not really too much more, you know. I would say it's a it's a. I like the comparison you brought up, uh, Evan, about the two Houston airports. Um, yeah, it's that's that's a very good point because the environment is different. If I'm in New York City, you know, I know that I can take public transit to any of the three, you know, major airports. Um, you know, LaGuardia, in addition to JFK and Newark. So at, at the end of the day, you know. From a business standpoint, I maybe I don't understand enough as to why United feels the feels that they need to do this. Um, I I th- personally think it's better to capitalize on Newark. I mean, you have you know they have such a monopoly on this airport yeah. that um, I I think you know continuing um, what I would imagine is a very much uh, a very positive and well established partnership with this airport. You know why not capitalize on that? Um, you know it's. Maybe maybe United has reasons that we're just not aware of, but but that would be my opinion there. Yeah, the reasons I see with maybe more exposure. Um, if United had a little bit more exposure, they might go all oh, hey, ahead. Maybe more business opportunities. We might be able to expand in JFK. But I agree with you guys. If they have Newark bottled up. They don't really need JFK. JFK is not really in their on their radar. In my opinion, in their in their on in their list of priority airports to be at they have some flights into LaGuardia and they have most of the flights to New York Liberty they don't need JFK thanks for listening to the Lot Up and Wait podcast if you'd like to learn more about the podcast feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at LUAW underscore podcast and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash LUAW podcast 
well, you've been holding your position for more than 90 seconds. So with that, you are clear for takeoff.